Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are God is good, and all the time, God is good. I'm, I'm so, I'm so, um, Lou reminded me of this this week, and I think Vanessa shot me a, a, a text message as well, kind of going alongside with it. And it was so powerful because the last time we were able to step into Cuba, right before the pandemic hit, and we were going to go again in July, but we were in the middle of the pandemic, it was powerful because... We went over there, I went over there with messages in my, actually in my iPad, and words in my mind that I, I wanted to share. And the moment that we got to Cuba, I'm, I'm not even lying to you, the instant that we stepped foot there, the Holy Spirit began to minister. There was four of us that were there, and he began to minister immediately this one word. And it was the word libertad. And it's weird because you're in Cuba, and the last word that you think that the Holy Spirit is going to minister you is freedom. And through, we went throughout the, whole, throughout the island of Cuba. Um, and in every place that we went, we got to see glimpses of the church. We got to meet with over, I don't remember, over 50 pastors throughout those days that we were there. And in every breakout that we had, and in every church that we visited, <clears throat> in every neighborhood that we went to, there was this one common thing, and it was a cry for liberty, for freedom. And one day we went to a church, and, and it was one of the first days that we were there. I'll never forget, and it was like a Monday morning. It was like maybe 9 a.m. And we just went to have a meeting with, these, with a pastor and some of his workers that they dress up like clowns, and they go visit kids with cancer in the hospital. And so we went to go meet them there at the church. And when we get there, we have to go through the main sanctuary. Everything's open in Cuba. And we're looking into the service. And, and I'm like, what's going on in here? I'm talking about there was no standing room. The whole place was slammed. I would say there was a few hundred people in attendance. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning on a Monday. And they were all sweating. And they were all jumping. And they were all worshiping. And I'm looking at them on a Monday morning. And I said, what are they doing? And they said, we've been fasting for a whole month. And this is just a revival that is happening here within our community and in our church. And the song that they kept singing was, Hay libertad en la casa de Dios. Hay libertad en la casa de Dios. And it was so inspiring. I was like, whoa, my God. These are people in Cuba jumping and crying that there is freedom, that there is freedom. And the Holy Spirit was ministering to us about freedom. One day I was, that one of, the, that, that's that one of those weeks, whatever, I don't know what day it was, I was going to preach at the church, and I had a message prepared. And the past, it was ending worship, and the pastor was coming up, and he was kind of giving encouragement to the church, and the church was so alive and, 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 and jumping. You know how we worship here? Right, right, they don't worship anything the way we worship. <laughs> I mean... They're sweating, they're jumping, they're crying, they're, they have their hands raised, they're dancing. I'm like, man, I wish Nest Church could look like that, whatever. That's a whole other conversation. But, but they were there, and I'm like, wow, if my church could just see them 
if my church could just see how they worship. I mean, these are people that are going to a house that their roof's falling on them. They, have, they, they don't even know how they're going to eat the next day. But in that moment, they, they forget. They just, in, they're, they're locked in. And I just said, man. And when the pastor was giving his thing, I, I looked at one of the sisters next to me. I said, give me your pen. You have a pen. And instantly, the Lord just changed my message. And I had two minutes. And in those two minutes, he gave me like seven scriptures. And I just wrote down all the, all the, all the verses. And I, and I went up there with a piece of paper in my Bible to look at all those verses. And I said, whoa, he's going to give me a word. And the message that came out was freedom. Freedom in Jesus. And that place was alive and there was liberty. And, I, and then I was reminded this week that what they're fighting for is just that. And it was almost throughout that place, the, the missionaries and people that are going over there, the Holy Spirit is bringing in a word for them. And it's a word that there is freedom. And the reminder is that the most important freedom, the one that can do it, is able to do it. There's freedom in Jesus Christ. I don't want you to lack faith as you pray for all these countries and you pray for countries like Cuba. I want you to understand that when we come before the presence of the Lord, we stand before an all-powerful, living, and true God. That when he speaks mountains, I mean, there is a rumbling in heaven and all eternity. There is a shake. God is able. So I look at the impossible, and in heaven, in the mind of the Lord, nothing is impossible for him. What is impossible for us, we know that in Christ, all things are possible. Amen? So find strength in that. And um, I believe that it was a prophetic word and a prophetic move that when we went over there, that we're, we're seeing people um, stand up and they no longer want to be oppressed, but that they want to be set free. And, and coming uh, as a Cuban-American, obviously it, it touches my heart and uh, it blesses me to see them fight for something so much that they believe in. And it, it brings great honor uh, to our hearts and we just pray for them. Amen? Amen. With that said, watch this. Today's message is titled, you should write this down in your notes. It's titled, Make Every Effort. Make Every Effort. I mean, I, I think that some of the Cuban people are doing that right now. They're, they're trying to, the best they can, to make every effort. And, and, and uh, I kind of want to spin this not towards what's happening right now in our world, but just basically in your own personal life as we read throughout the scripture. What does this mean to you? Make every effort. We're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1. But as we go to 2 Peter chapter 1, turn there with me. I want to welcome you to what's happening here in this second letter that is written to this church. It's very important, and, and really in my notes you should see, I, I, I just wrote in bold letters, welcome to Second Peter, because I was actually very excited to flip the page and finally get to the next chapter. But listen, although we're in Second Peter, I, wa I want you to catch a couple things. Second Peter is, is different than First Peter. First off, it doesn't record many of the events of the life of Jesus, as First Peter does. He feels, as he writes the second letter, there's other things to address. So instead of repeating himself over again like he did in First Peter, he is going to go and attack some new, some new things. and some, He's going to give the church some more information that he feels as an apostle and as a leader that he needs to share to this church. And, and a lot of it is not the events of Jesus' life. We've already gone through that in this first letter. But we see that accurately what Peter does is he describes uh, the transfiguration and he also goes ahead and describes uh, the prophecy of his own death. He shares, his, his, he shares that the Lord told me that I'm going to die soon and he's writing to the church. What a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've been asked that question. 
If you could know the day that you could die, would you want to be told? Some of you would say, yeah. I'm like, no, I'll go crazy. Can you imagine that, knowing the day you're going to die? He has such a relationship with the Lord that he knows that his time's up. The Lord has told me that my moment's almost here, and he tells that. He also speaks to them about the Lord's coming and that the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night and also the prediction of the appearance of false prophets. And these are things that Peter speaks about accurately throughout this text, throughout this letter that is written. When you think about 2 Peter, I want you to really consider, think about this. It is the end. He's at the end of the end. He's right there moments away from his death. It's dated somewhere or written sometime between A.D. 64 through A.D. 68. And that is about the time frame right about the end of that is when Peter, by historians, was, was said to die. So it was written from Rome, as we know. Most likely it's, it was written from Rome, his last destination, the place where he was going to die. It was where Peter was going to become a martyr, and it was under Nero's reign. Nero, who if you learned about him probably in your history classes, if you put on the History Channel, they've done stories of Nero and his evil and his evil doings that he did to the, to the Christians and to many others. And here is what Peter... He's in Rome under Nero's leadership, under Nero's reign, and this is where he was going to die. We are in the last years of his life. And I've always said this, always listen to the last statements of a dead man. Always listen to the last statements of a dead person. Because right before they take their last breath, they want to they release some very important things. They want to they make sure they get some information out. And Peter knows that he's at the end, that this is where he will soon be killed. So he has some very important things to tell the church. So as he's in Rome, he receives information as he's in Rome. I want you to put yourself in the times of Peter. He's chained up. He's imprisoned. He's in Rome. His days are counted. And as his days are counted, he has visitations who come and they visit him. Letters that are written to him. And he hears about the difficulties that the church is having. That the church that he loves is struggling because there's a rise in the church of false teachers. And it breaks Peter's heart because I've taught them. I've planted. I've helped establish these churches. I've I've cried and I've sweat and I've bled over these churches. And now these churches, my brothers and sisters who I love, they're struggling because false teachers have entered their fold. Think about what Peter's going through there. Think about how he receives that information. So one of the immediate things he does because he can't leave Rome is I know what I'll do. I can't text them. I can't call them. So what I'll do is I'll write them a letter. And he sends this letter to them to encourage them and to warn them of the dangers that are ahead. He's warning them. We learn that in 1 Peter, he encourages Christians to face opposition. We kept talking about <clears throat> being stronger in opposition, that our trials make us better, all those things. We, we, we exhausted that in this first letter. But here in 2 Peter He's going to warn Christians against false teachers within their fellowship that eventually their main desire and their goal is to lead them to apostasy, that the church would turn away from God, from his teachings. And Peter says, not in my day. I will warn the church so that no apostasy 
No false teacher would trick, defile, and sicken the people that I love. It's a beautiful, beautiful letter because he's going to attack some very difficult things to read. We'll read later in chapter 2 that these teachers that showed up and appeared or that grew in the church, what they really were was, please listen to this, they were heretics. They were full-blown heretics committing heresies, speaking heresies. Some of the things that they would do was they would deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. They would live also. They, 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 they had this appearance of godliness, but the reality was they lived a sensuous lifestyle. They would ridicule even the idea of the return of the Lord. These were heretics and, and these were heresies when someone is trying to deny who Jesus is and deny the promises of the Lord. Be careful for them. They're heretics and they're trying to stray you away from the truth of the Bible and they want you to what? Be focused on the ideas and the knowledge that they have to offer you. I love that because it's so, it's so obvious. They come with you with this knowledge, but what they are is heretics trying to confuse you from the truth that you've learned from those who have taught you well. And that's what's going on with, with Peter, and that's what's still going on in this world. So many influential people, so many great communicators, so many individuals that get on platforms, and, and even in small little groups and clusters, that are filled with knowledge and have the, and, and everyone just comes up to them and they think of them, oh my goodness, he's some sort of like God here. Look at him, how much he knows of the, you know, it's, it's look at it, be seasoned, know it, grab every word and, and make sure that you match it with the word of God and be very careful because that's exactly what's always happened, what's going to happen. And that's what was going on right here. There were very influential people in the church that had grew in a lot of knowledge. But what they did was they began to twist the word of God rather than to live it out and teach it properly. Listen to that. Live it out and teach it properly. And Peter exposed them of their heresy. And what I love about this is this, that I get the sense in this letter as I read it personally. That since Peter is at the true end of his life, he lays it all down for the hope and for the future of the church that he leads. He holds nothing back. And I love that. Because if you're going to do anything for Christ, hold nothing back. Do it with all of your ability, with all of your strength, and especially in the days that we're living in, when there is so much false information and it's so quickly given to us just by the world that's in your hands. Anywhere you click, the algorithms will tell you what it knows you like to hear. And because you like to hear it, it will tell you that. So everything that you receive from this square is not necessarily the truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the days that we're living in. That if you're going to be rooted in anything, you better, you must be rooted in the truth of God's word. Because this thing is going to trip. The greatest false prophet right now is probably the technology that's in our hands. I'm telling you, be rooted in the word of God. Match it and square it up to scripture. And here he is and he holds nothing back. And it's the same thing for us. And this is what he writes, not in the introductory, introduction in the beginning of his chapter, but he writes this in somewhere in the, mid, in the middle of his introductory chapter. And he says this in verse 14 and 15. 
He says, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must leave this earthly life. I must leave here soon. Look at what Peter says. Imagine reading this letter and like, what did you read this? Peter says that the Lord told him he's going to die soon. Verse 15. I love everything that is written in these 21 verses. But verse 15 is probably one of my favorite things that he writes. And it's so simple. Here's what he says. Uh, For the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me I must leave soon. Think about that statement. Verse 15. So, everyone say so. Because the Lord just showed me that I have to leave soon. Because of that fact, I will work hard to make sure that you always remember these things after I'm gone. I love that verse. I'm gone soon. And because I'm gone, I'm still here and I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work hard while I'm still here to make sure that you know what I've taught you. And I love verse 15 because it shows you the heart of Peter. It shows you at the end of his life what he's made out of. You want to know what people are made out of? Put them to the, to put them to the brink. Put them to face death and you'll see what they're made out of. And here's Peter and he says, I'm gone. And because I'm gone soon, I'm coming at you with everything I got. I look at people like Peter and I say, God, that's what I want. I want to be like Peter and I want to surround myself with men and women that are just like Peter, that don't what, hide and, and, and are broken and run into the caves when calamity hits, but that say, I see death creeping in. I see darkness. And because of that, I'm going to give it all I got. That's what Peter is doing. And he's riding with that tenacity. He's at the end and his end as it's arrived But what's beautiful is that as it's arrived, his fight remains strong. You've ever met someone that's maybe dying, and I have, and maybe they've passed away with a sickness, maybe with a cancer, and on their bed, they're preaching. On their bed with their last breath, they're they're talking to their nurses and the doctors about the, the good news of Jesus Christ while they're dying, and some of them at a young age. And you're floored, and here's Peter at the end, He's arrived, but his fight remains strong. And I ask you, when you come to that point, wherever your end is, will you remain strong? Will you remain strong? Will your fight remain strong? And why and for who does Peter's fight remain strong? We always talk about here in our church the why and the who, the who and the whys. His fight remains strong for those he leads. That's why. It's for them and for the one who he leads for, and that's the who. He, he, he fights and he remains strong because there's a God that he represents and there's a people that he leads. And I love this. How many of you are excited to get into the second chapter? So in second chapter of, uh, first chapter of second Peter, of the second letter, there you go. Verse one, let's go ahead and let's get into this. Look how he starts this letter. He says, this letter is from Simon Peter. If you've ever had a question of who wrote this letter, um, a lot of scholars and stuff argue about this, but I just like to say that this letter is from Simon Peter. And it says, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Did everyone write, did everyone see how he writes his second letter? Did you see the introduction? He could have said, this letter is from Simon Peter, the great apostle. The great man, that when I go, you should all kiss my ring. Let's not get into that conversation, but yeah. 
We could get into it, though. This is the best place to get into it, actually. But he's not, he's not doing that. He's not claiming any of that. He says, it's from me, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and the fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Pause for a moment here in verse 1. The order of these titles is very important. As Peter starts off, he considers himself first a slave, a bondservant. So I, Peter, right? This, a bondservant and an apostle. A slave is another word that we could say for bondservant. And then he goes to call himself an apostle. So you, you look at that introduction and his standing as a slave was more important to him than his status as an apostle. And I love that because if Peter could have said anything, he could have said, I, the grand Peter apostle of this. He does not. He basks and he enjoys, first off, that he is a slave, a bondservant. That is more important than my status as an apostle. I've won your heart as an apostle because what? I've, I've cleaned your feet as a slave. And that's where Peter writes. He writes, from, for goodness sakes, I am imprisoned. I am shackled for the gospel that I preach and write to you. And because of that, I serve you with my life, he says. I am a slave first before anything else. I am a slave unto Jesus Christ, a bondservant. I am chained to his purposes, to his will. How many of you are, are, are or us, because I'm in this too. How many of us, we get chained to Jesus, and we also get chained to our desires. And we're like, I'm chained to the Lord, but I'm also chained to my pleasures. And it's like, there's this battle between what we are servants to, slaves to. We're bond servants to the, to the flesh of our lives, but we're also bond servants to the kingdom and to Christ. And, and, and that's what the apostles are saying. It does, makes no sense. It can't be done that way. If you're going to chain yourself, if you're going to be imprisoned to anything, if you're a slave, you're a slave slave unto Christ and Peter says that I'm a slave and that's what brought honor to Peter his leadership if I were to say to you was Peter a great leader what would your answer be I hope that you would say absolutely an honorable leader a great leader one that I wish I could be like one that I want to walk in his footsteps we honor Paul a lot but we honor Peter a lot too he was a wonderful a great leader and I could say that his leadership, the reason why it was so great was because he, he came and he served. It was from a place of servanthood. He didn't want to shine on a platform. His aim was not recognition. A leader that wants recognition, platform, pat me on the back and all that, that's a dangerous leader. That's a dangerous person. They want a recognition. They want a platform. None of this is for a platform. None of this is for recognition. None of this is for your own website, for your own hand. None of that. <laughs> he did not aim for that. He wasn't caught up in the politics of church leadership to gain a greater status. Peter wasn't involved in none of that. Though at one point he was the president of the church, he was the president of the Jerusalem council. In Jerusalem, we know that Paul had an issue. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to handle it with Peter firsthand. I write to you so I'm not a hypocrite. What I write to you, I will also confront him face to face. What I mean to tell you is that Peter was a true leader. He wasn't caught up, though, in the foolishness of these things later on in his life. He, he led as a slave, as a bondservant to others. He did not lead so that others would be a slave or a bondservant towards him. You've ever been under a leadership that what they really want is for you to serve them? 
The reason why you're under someone's leadership is because they've earned your heart. They've gained your heart because they first served you. And that's the reality. That's who we're called to be. I want to be a leader. Are you a servant? Are you a slave? Because the way to lead is to serve. The way to lead someone is to serve them and to, to lay down your life for them. And we learned this last week as we read through Mark chapter 10. He took on the words of Jesus. He took on the example of Jesus. If Peter is going to teach anything or do anything, I'm going to teach what Jesus taught, and I'm going to do as Jesus does. So what does he do? Mark 10, verse 43. Remember when Peter, um, when James and John, the, the, the two sons come up to, the two brothers come up to Jesus, let us what? Be great in heaven. Let one of us sit on your right hand and the other one sit on your left hand. And what does Jesus say? Do you know what you ask for? Are you able to drink from my cup? Are you able to die my death? Do you remember that story in Mark chapter 10? When the other two, he goes, surely, surely you're going you're gonna to drink from my cup. They go back to the crew and they tell Peter and all the other brothers, yo, what just happened? And Peter's like, how dare you? How dare you go secretly to Jesus and ask for a great place of honor, a place of, to stand in high status? So Jesus sees a fight and a calamity there, blah, 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 these, these young, zealous disciples that just want status. They're young, but they want their leader, their rabbi to recognize them. You know what I'm talking about. You've been under a leadership. Like, I wish they would recognize me. I just want to outperform. I want, I get, you get jealous of each other. You get jealous of brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so because they get a little bit more credit. It happens all the time. It happened with the disciples. So Jesus says, everyone gather up. He sits them all by his feet. And as he sits them down, he says, among you, it's going to be different from this moment going forward. What does he say? Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. Verse 44, and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. Can you imagine that? The resumes would be so much easier. The applications would so much be easier. You want a position in this place? You want to lead in this place? And they say, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to be a slave to everyone? Oh, well, I don't know about that. Then you can't be in this place. Imagine if jobs would do that, corporations would do that, churches would do that. But instead we hire the person with what? The greatest gift. That person preaches well, so we must put them in leadership. That could be the, one of the most dangerous things that you could do is put a good preacher up to, to lead. If they don't know how to first what? Be a servant. That's the reality of it. It's not about getting the skill. It's not about hiring the gift. It's not about promoting the, 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 the it's, it's, about, it's about promoting and honoring and, and cherishing the one who has learned to be a servant to all. And that will, will propel every single one of us to great leadership. That's the heart of Jesus. You with me? I'm not telling you anything that's not in the word of God. I believe Peter first learned how to be a great servant before he became a great preacher, a great slave, and so on and so forth. Paul was very knowledgeable, but I don't think Paul was a great preacher. <laughs> he, pre he preached for hours at one time until the sun came down. And one, one young man fell off. We know that. We, said, we shared that here. He just fell asleep and boom, came off. You get the joke. I'm sure he was a great preacher, but maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was just a knowledgeable person. Because that's not what you need to be. He says in verse 44, whoever wants to be first must be a slave for everyone else. Verse 45, for even me, he says, I, the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. Here's your example. 
Here I am, right laid out before you, Jesus tells his disciples. So what does, what does Peter say to the church? I, Peter, a slave. Why would you call yourself a slave? Because, shoot, if Jesus called himself a slave, I'm going to call myself a slave. That's what Peter's saying. How dare I, I elevate myself higher than Jesus? So what do they do? They made him a pope? So what do they do? They made, they, the religion has caused many other popes to come from him and they kissed their hands. Peter didn't have no one kissing his hands. He, he was too busy washing people's feet. That's the heart of true leadership. It wasn't to be put up in a golden palace to be worshipped as if he's closer to God than you are. I'm here to, t- I'll be the first one to tell you that just because I'm the pastor of this church does not mean that I'm closer to God than any of you. I've just, I've just been called for this calling. But that does not mean anything else that you don't hear from God. That you don't speak from God or that I know God more than you. When people come up to me and say, pray, because I know that your prayers reach his heart a little bit more than mine do. What? You are a son and you are a daughter of God. Don't ever put man in a place that he should not be. I'm not trying to front to pretend like I'm greater than any of you. I know that there's some people in this church that I wish I could have their faith. I could walk the way they walk while still being called to lead it. I'm just, that's, how, that's the reality of who we are. All across the globe, all across this earth. So what does he say? He says here, he continues, he says, I'm writing to you who share in the same precious faith that we have. Peter is writing to those who've experienced the salvation he's experienced. Verse 2, may God give you more and more grace and peace. How many of you need more and more of God's grace? Yeah. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So here in verse 1 and 2, we see that Peter's going to come into this place where he's connecting that our maturity uh, in our faith grows our knowledge of Jesus. And there, from the knowledge of God, grace and peace are the blessings that spring forth from it. You know Jesus, then you know peace. You know Jesus, then, then you know grace. There's a greater grace, and I believe this, there's a greater peace for every single one of us here. How many of you have experienced the grace of God in your life? Amen. Hopefully all of us have. If not, let's schedule a conversation. Let's talk soon. Because there is a grace of God that you need to learn about. How many of you have um, experienced the peace of God in your life? How many of you have experienced peace in wartime? Like, you know, like life is just like a big war. Like there's bombs going off in your life. But yet you've experienced peace in the midst of that. That's powerful. And I believe that even as you've experienced that, there's a greater grace and a greater peace for all of us. As we grow in the knowledge of Christ, as we mature in Jesus, mature in our faith, may that be the aim for all of us. That, that, we, would, that we would have greater grace and peace because we're growing and maturing in Christ and in our faith. Growing in a knowledge that is, that is complete as scripture teaches it. That we would learn and know Christ. Learn and know the scriptures. I started to think about verse 1 and 2, and I asked myself this question, and I actually wrote it down to remember to ask you. I said, why do you think he's writing this? Why do you think he's writing things like, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of of God and your Lord Jesus Christ? Why, Why would he write this? And, huh? They needed grace and peace? The obvious? Yeah. So I started to think about this, and I said, oh my goodness, Because in a moment, as you continue to read through this chapter, he's going to confront the heresy that that some have led in this church. And because I'm going to confront some heretics, 
I'm, I'm here to tell you it's going to get a little dicey in a little bit. So as you read this introduction, I want you to know that grow in Christ, mature in your faith. There's grace and peace because I'm, I'm going to hit up some things that you need to hear. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, Peter is so good. You, you've ever been in a meeting with someone, someone asks you out to get coffee, like, I want to just have a talk with you. And they start off with the good. We've done that here in church. We've had that example. But you start off always with the good. Oh, I want to first tell you how amazing you are, right? You're so amazing. You do this, uh, but then comes the negative stuff. <laughs> That's what Peter's doing, right? He's pumping them up, but I have to confront some things. He's going to call out the false teachers and encourage the church. Hey, I'm going to call that group out. This is very important, but don't think that because I'm calling that group out, it has nothing to do with you. I'm going to call that group out, but as I call that group out, I want the church to be encouraged and know that you are responsible. You are responsible for each other, and you're responsible to weed them out. Don't just wait for the leadership. The body of Christ, weed the heresy out. And Peter was going to attack that. None of this is possible if the church is not growing in the knowledge of Christ and maturing in the faith. If you're not growing in the knowledge of his scriptures, the knowledge of Christ in your faith, then you're going to fall for any wind of doctrine that comes blowing your way. we got to grow. We have to mature. I love what Nick Vujacic says. If you know, it's the, he has a, the, the ministry, the man without limbs. And he says this. I'm going to quote him. If you don't know the truth, then you can't be free. Because then you'll believe that the lies are the truth. Powerful quote from Nick Vujacic. So verse 3, Peter says, as he jumps from 1 and 2, and the thought of what he's saying, look what he says. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. I've lived a life where I've given excuses for not living godly. Anyone with me? Am I the only one? You justify, you give excuse. Well, this is the reason why I shouldn't be a good husband. This is why I shouldn't serve you with my full capacity. This is why I should... We've been there, right? So what he says in verse 3 is, by his divine power, he's going to cancel that justification. He's going to cancel those excuses. And he says, God has given you everything that you already need for a godly life. We've received all of this by, by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Amen. Come on, that, that God has given us everything we need for, for us to live a godly life, in order to live a godly life. Do you know that? Have you written that down in your notes yet today? God has given me everything I need so I can live a godly life. Well, I just need a better church. I just need a better brother. I just need a better sister. No, God's given you everything you need so that you can live a better, uh, um, a glorious life, a more honorable life, a godly life. Amen. Like, be responsible for yourself. Stop blaming everyone. Like, that's what Peter's saying. Who are you? Church. Remember, not you guys, not you. I'm, at all am I talking about you guys. But church, Peter's writing to them. And he says, yes, there's heretics in the church. Yes, they've confused the heck out of you. But be responsible. Be responsible for yourselves. God's giving you everything you need. And then he says, we've received all of this when we've come to know him. By means of his marvelous glory and excellence. All the spiritual blessings that we need 
are available to us. You should know that. You should write that. But the question is this. Are we accessing that which is available to us? Are we opening that door? Are we opening that letter? Are we opening that email? You know, are we, are, are we accessing that? Peter is not the only one that says this. This is how I know it's truth. Apostle, or one writer backs up another writer. Ephesians chapter 1, 3, Paul tells the church of Ephesus something very similar. And look what Paul says. He says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ. Look what Paul's saying. With every spiritual blessing in the heavens. They're saying the same thing. It's accessible to you. As one preacher puts it, these blessings are received through the knowledge of God. This knowledge is the difference, I love this, between merely meeting the President of the United States and having a personal relationship with the President of the United States. Let's get into the glory of heaven. Have you merely met Christ or do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Those are two different explanations. Oh, I know Jesus. Do you, did you just meet him one day? Or is he alive and living in you? Do you have a personal relationship with him? And that's what Peter is drawing out. And I wrote this down. Thank you, Lord, for your divine power. Your divine power that, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3.10, and I'm going to make this and change the use uh, the them the, uh, to you I'm going to make it personal for every single one of you in Philippians 3.10 thank you Lord for your divine power when it says that I may know you and the power of your resurrection and that I may share in your sufferings becoming like you in your death thank you for chapter 4.13 says where I can do all things through you who strengthen me thank you for your divine power which I'm able to grow in this in verse 4 Peter goes on, he says, and because of his glory and excellence, remember verse 3? He says, who called you to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. He doesn't end it there because he's going to start the next thought. And he says, because of this, because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and to escape the world's corruption that is caused by human desires. When you turned on the news this week, what did you see? The world's corruption. You saw that 60 years ago, a man thought that socialism would be a great idea for a country. Well, how's it going 60 years later? Not too well. Not too well. Sorry if there's any socialists or communists in here. This probably is not the place for you. But, but it's the reality. It's like, here, here is Peter, and he says, because of this glory and excellence, the promises now, because of these promises, they enable us to share now in this divine nature. Now, because of his divine nature, you and I, us, the church, the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, every single unique one of us are able to escape the world's corruption that is caused not by God. Stop blaming God about why did this happen, why is that happening, and why did God allow. It's caused by human desires, by the evil and the sin that is in us. The English standard says this, it is through these promises that we become partakers. Partakers in the Greek, it's a sharer. It's someone who shares of the divine nature. We never become like part of God, but amazingly we share in his nature. 
I can never get to heaven and say, whoa, look at me, I'm God too. No, but I share in his nature, in the likeness of him. I share in that, and I become increasingly like him. I'm being transformed into the image of his son, but never am I transformed into that. But I'm being transformed, I'm transformed into it so that one day when I come to the fullness of my transformation into the likeness of Jesus, I'm never Jesus, but I'm made in his likeness. I'm, made in his, I'm transformed into his image. But that never makes me Jesus. I never say, can you please sit down because I'm new now and I get to sit down on your throne. That's not what this is describing here. It's the great promises include, and, and, and this is what Peter is identifying throughout this chapter. God's given us great promises to make us like him. To transform us into the image of his son. And he breaks all these things down in this chapter. In, in, in these chapters to come. And he's going to talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as he's given us power. How many of you could say thank you Holy Spirit for giving me power in the moments where I am found at my weakest. And Peter's going to talk about that. The promises as our transformation like I said in our likeness to God. He's going to talk about that. The promises of the return of Jesus. Sometimes, if you're having a bad day, if you're anything like me, sometimes I just like, one day, one day I'm going to reign with him. Or one day he's going to break through. Do you know how many times I've walked my dog out? This is the weird, this is how I'm weird. And I've been outside of my house, and I've just looked up to the sky. And I, so how's it going to break open? I'm like, God, do it right now, do it right now. And I, I just wish that whole thing would break open and then a glorious light from heaven comes. Like, I think I, I'm always, like, doing weird things like that. I'm like, so how's it going to happen? Like, will it be seen everywhere? Like, how? I start to think about those interesting things because it's in my heart. It's in your heart. That spirit is in you. So you think about his return. Another promise that he's going to talk about is the eternal life in heaven. We think about that. You've ever just laid there and just thought about heaven? The angels. The sounds, the thunderings, the lightnings, God, his throne, the throne room, the sea of glass, the, the many colors, the many sounds, the smells. You ever thought about that? The beans, the weird looking beans, the beans that we don't know of, the, the, the dimensions of heaven that we don't know of. It's a cube. The new Jerusalem is a massive cube. It's a massive cube. And within it is us all over the place in directions that are not north, south, east, and west. We're upside down, inside out, left and right. It's all weird. There's gates. The gates never close. They're open. Never think about that. The promises of God that await you. Man, I do. You should. On a bad day, think that it's not your forever. Your forever is heaven. And he talks about all the promises that the scripture tells us about new life. That's what Peter is doing. We will once and for all escape the world's corruption. How many of you can say Amen. The corruption that is caused by human desire, he says, by evil desire, sinful desire. Another translation says, the world's lust. And I want you to know that as we read through this, that God is above and beyond the corruption of this world. And we are partakers of the divine nature. And we are above and beyond the corruption that is in this world. The corruption that is expressed, as scripture says, through lust. We are above and beyond all the ungodly desires of this world. You know what? I want to do this. I'm going to go to Second, First John chapter 2. I'm going to end with this one because I'm going to, I want to stress some things in the next few verses that I believe are going to take a long time. So I'm, I'm going to save the next few verses for next week. But in First John chapter 2 verse 16, 
John tells us this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it's of this world. I want you to think about what John is saying here, what Peter is saying. I'm going to go back to what Peter says, but listen to this. For all that is in the world, say that, for all that is in the world. Well, what's in this world, he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Right before he says that in verse 16, He says this in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in this world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not love this world. Do not love the things in this world. For anyone who loves the pattern, the lifestyle, the sin of this world, the Father is not in him. And then he says for all of it, is lust of flesh, of eyes, and it's the pride. And none of that is from the Father. All of that is from the spirits that run through this world. Again, Peter says this, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. I want you just right there where you're at, This is why I wanted to pause here and really allow this to hit home for a moment. I want you to examine your heart and I want you to examine your mind and your mind. I want you to examine your soul, your life, your your inner being. Examine yourself to the fullest right now. And as you examine yourself, as you weigh yourself right now before the presence of the Lord, I want you to do this. Think of his great and precious promises that are over your life. Promises like the the leading, the power of the Holy Spirit. Promises like the transformation that is happening in your life, making you more like Jesus. Promises like he's going to return. Promises that your eternity is in heaven. Promises that scripture has taught you and gives you of your new life that you have now. Think about all the promises that he's spoken to you, all the promises that are yes and amen over your life. Peter says, these are the promises. All these promises that the Lord and the scripture has taught you, these are the promises that help you, that enable you, that push you to go forward, that that push you to share in the divine nature. These are the promises that push you forward to escape the world's corruption that is caused by human desires. I look at that and I said that today's message as you're just there really thinking within yourself and examine yourself, make every effort in your life. Make every effort to escape the world's corruption, church. Make every effort to live in his goodness. Make every effort to remember his promises in your life. Make every effort, every effort, maybe you could say give all diligence, every effort to respond 
to those promises that God has over you. We're partakers of the divine nature. But make every effort to continue to grow, church. Make every effort to give all diligence in your walk to the Lord. Make every effort, make every effort to continue to mature. Make every effort so that you're just not a statistic. Make every effort so that you're not just one that is here today but gone tomorrow. Make every effort that this world and its corruption will not suck you in. That the false teachers and the false ideologies of this world will not lead you astray. Make every effort to stand rooted in his truth. Make every effort to, to pass through the corruption that man has brought forth on this earth. You are not like this world. You are not like the pattern of this world. You are not like the evil that man has brought to this world. You have been brought at a price. Your blood of the lamb is over you and make every effort to lift up the name of Jesus, to live a godly life. Everything that you need has been given to you so that you would be able to live a godly life. Make every effort in the corrupted world that we live in today to live in faith for him, to live in awe of him, to live in recognition of him, that many would come to know the Christ that you say you live for. Church, make Every effort. Don't love the patterns of this world. The thoughts of this world. The ideas of this world. That are pushing you away from the truth of his scripture. From the truth of his word. There are so many and some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing out to trick you and fool you. There are so many. But make every effort in, with all diligence to grow, to mature, and to stand up in your faith for such a time that you're living for. How many of you could say amen? amen. Come on, can you stand with me this morning? I want you there. If you have your eyes closed, keep it closed. I want you to, if you want to stretch out your, stretch out your hands, if you want to just open up your heart right there. Lord, we just pray that as we are going through this chapter together, and the second letter that Peter is writing to, the, to that church of Asia Minor. And as we get into some things about what it looks like to make every effort in. That Lord, it's not just about our faith and our walk, Lord. But that every single person would continue to learn, wait a minute, I have to deal with self-control. I have some issues in my life and I have to really live an orderly life. I, just because I feel like doing something, it doesn't mean that I should do it. Just because I like the way that tastes doesn't mean that I should eat it. You've called us Christians to have wisdom in these days that we're living in. You're not calling us to blend in. You're calling us to live in this world while yet not being part of it. Or being part of it, better said, while really being citizens of another kingdom. And Lord, I pray for every single one of us that maybe we're here and it's been a difficulty. It's been a journey. It's been hard. It's been one thing after another. It's been one trial. 
It's been one problem. Some of it maybe is not even a, our big issues. Maybe it's just internal things that we're dealing with, our minds or relationships, whatever it could be. But I pray that today, Lord, that we would have, as we will get there next week, to what Peter says. That wherever I'm at in my life, whether I'm still in the beginning of it, in the middle of it, or if I'm towards the end of my life, whatever it is, like Peter says in chapter 1, verse 15 of this letter, that every single one of us will work hard, that we will make every effort, that we will work hard, so that others that we live before will remember these things after we're gone. In this church, Lord, in this family, we talk about legacy because we know that tomorrow is not promised to any of us. So we want to leave a legacy. We want to work hard to help us not to get lazy. Help us not to give in. Help us not to grow weary and and throw in the towel. Help us, Lord, to continue to go forward and make every effort. Help us to continue to go forward and to work hard to make sure that when the day that I leave this earth, I can leave in peace knowing that I've left everything I've left so that those that witnessed my life could remember these things. Lord, I pray for every single person here who maybe feels like they're losing in their fight. I pray that you would strengthen them and that their fight would remain strong. Let their fight remain strong because they're leading others and they're leading for you. May our fight remain strong and may our leadership in this world be one because it's found joy in being a slave. As Paul says in his letter, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. He could say, I, Paul, a slave of Christ. And Peter says the same thing. For it's me, Simon Peter, a slave. And yes, also an apostle. An apostle of Jesus Christ, but I'm a slave. That we would find joys to serve the ones that is difficult to serve and that we could start finding it easy because we have the heart of Christ. That we would not lash back and hate back. That we would not do as the world does. That we don't have to get even. That we could fall to our knees and serve. That we could wash the dirtiest of feet, even if it's the same feet that kick us when we're down. That as that same foot kicked us, here we are washing the same foot that kicked us. Lord, that we would make every effort to do well in that. Every effort. Lord, I'm speaking to myself. Because the foot that kicks me, I like to stab it and stick it to the ground. But Lord, let me remove the dagger. And let me... Let me... Let me cover that foot with oil. Let me cover that foot with the smells of heaven. Why would you clean my foot? 
Why would you clean my feet if they were meant to kick you? But the same foot that kicked us would be the same foot because of our service to them that takes the gospel to the end of the earth. The Bible says how precious are the feet of those. Teach us to wash feet. Teach us to have the heart of Paul and Peter who had the heart of Jesus. Teach us to have your heart that we would make every effort, every effort to be a bondservant, every effort to be last and to place others first, every effort to combat false teachings with the love and the truth of Christ, every effort to live in truth, every effort to seek the divine nature and power of God. Every effort to live in the godliness, in the holiness of God. Every effort from this day forward. Come on, strengthen my brother, who I know is here today. And today he needs to be strengthened. Lord, strengthen my sister, who I know is here today who needs to be strengthened that they would go forward and that they would work hard and that they would make every effort bless this house bless this nest give us hope let us live in hope for the days that we're in days that we're in let them get better not because the world around us is getting better but the world within us is getting better let us look at this world and look at it as our mission field church as we close off I want you to notice this I know this has been the longest prayer probably in your life but listen are you noticing that you don't you barely have to go and take mission trips nowadays because the Lord is giving us a mission field right here. The whole world is a mission field, man. The whole world is a mission field and he's bringing it closer and closer to us. There is no excuse. We are missionaries of God. We have a, we're called to be sent out. Come on, make every effort. Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for our beautiful children who danced and sang us in worship led us in worship thank you for the team that brought that put VBS together for those that made every effort those that worked hard so that those when they're gone can remember a weekend a week like we just had thank you for people like that in our church that they're willing to make every effort regardless if they get recognized or not because we've learned that our reward is in heaven. Thank you for them. And they know who they are and we honor them and we love them and we kiss them with a beautiful brotherly kiss and hug them today. And for every single other brother and sister that's here, strengthen them to serve you well in their jobs, in their cubicles, with their families, when no eyes are looking. We hug them and kiss them and love them and tell them today, come on, work hard. Make every effort from this day forward. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we honor you this morning for you are a good God. 
Hallelujah. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. In Jesus' name, and together we say, amen. Come on, can you give God some praise? He's worthy. He's worthy.